0: This is a Lip Media Podcast.
1: This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. The country we now call Australia was built on the stolen lands of hundreds of unique Indigenous nations, and we recognise that as white women, we continue to partake in and benefit from the act of colonisation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Book Slut, a podcast bringing erotica out of the gutter and into a snobbier gutter. Hi,
0: my name is Abby. And I'm Sam. It should go without saying that this podcast is not safe for work, so put your headphones in. Alright, it's a bonus episode! Bonus! A side note, where we talk about all the things we didn't have time to talk about in the, an actual episode. I, I'm i going real nerdy
1: on this one. I'm just excited.
0: <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about censorship. Following on from the conversation we had with Tegan in our last episode about Lady Chatterley's Lover, we really wanted to do a deep dive into censorship and how it relates to romance and erotica. Um, in the past and the present, but before we get into that, some news: Abby's leaving me.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> heading up to the sunny north. The, su- <laughs> the sunny north. That makes yeah. it sound so it's romantic. The, it's the sunshine state, Sam. All right, it's, it's exciting. Fine. This is. I'm just ticking off my states in Australia to live in. Three down. I didn't know that was a thing that you had. A I list mean, it's not, year. but now it is. But with the news, we're going to try and continue to do this. It's just going to be a long-distance podcast relationship. Long-distance <laughs> love affair. <laughs> with each other and, and smutty books. <laughs> that's it. I don't know how I'm going to go buying smutty literature in a smaller town where people oh. might know who I am. <laughs> no, that's going to be great. I look forward <laughs> to hearing all about that. Um. So... When we were talking about Lady Chatterley's, we, we did speak about the court case that went against it. We spoke about it a little bit, but it's a seminal case in the UK. It also informed the US and it also informed Australia's laws on censorship.
0: I'm so excited for how, how much this is bringing out your like <laughs> lo- your law face. So law rarely face. we get to see it. I mean, <laughs> no one gets to see it except me, but I assure you all it's, it's lovely. <laughs>
1: So, um, but there's actually, it's it's kind of interesting, the more I was looking into this, the more that I realized there's there's really, in the UK and the US in particular, there are these kind of two phases to censorship, one of which was based through customs and just, you know, destroying the things that were coming into the country or Mm -hmm. not allowing things to come into the country. And then one of which was through law and through obscenity laws in particular doesn't seem like, and I'm happy to be wrong on this, but it doesn't seem like Australia ever got to the obscenity law phase. We went from kind of customs into censorship through the boards, through Mm, classification. Classification, yeah. Yeah, so Australia is a lot more into this classification, whereas in the US and the UK they still have these obscenity laws, which are incredibly interesting. And the US in particular is super interesting because it relates to freedom of speech Mm -hmm. yeah and i'm just gonna take this point here (laughs) to say a thing that i say a lot that every (laughs) person talking about this in australia should be saying we do not have freedom of speech we don't have it okay I just I'm so sick of people talking about freedom of speech in Australia we have an implied freedom but we do not have a bill of rights so we just don't have a freedom of speech to stop talking about it like we have it and to
0: all of the fuck boys out there who like to throw freedom of speech around <laughs>
1: you're wrong you're just wrong I just I cannot stress this enough uh, that's my preface so <laughs> so lady Chatterley's, you had the first kind of court case stuff happening in 1928 which was the buyers of the books against the Customs Administration. And then 1960 is the big one that we kind of spoke about, which is about the obscenity law. That means that, like, there's 30 years following Lawrence's death in 1930. The book was unpublished in the UK. And this was Penguin wanting to publish it because they wanted to make it a cheap book and, and have people buy it. And... um. About capitalism. <laughs> yeah. And, and this was a test case. And it was like this massive case. Essentially, what had happened is in 1959, there was the New Obscene Act, which introduced an, a defense, which said that if a publisher could show that a work was of literary merit and for the public good, it, it wasn't obscene. That hadn't existed before in either the u k or the u s what what
0: is it to, what does it mean to be obscene? Did they have a definition of obscene no, <laughs> no. They,
1: they very it rarely just, have they'd be like, I deem this
0: to be obscene because I don't like it
1: yeah, and this is still a problem, and I think we'll talk about it a bit more later on, but it's still a problem because what is obscene often depends on what the community thinks obscene is yeah and You know, and what the reasonable person thinks obscene is. And Sam and I have spoken a lot about the reasonable person. Let me just
0: say that it was Abby's birthday on the weekend. And at length, you went on such a rant while drunk
1: about how ridiculous the reasonable person test is. And it was glorious. I stand by everything I said. (laughs) So... Before Lady Chatterley's there was a test called the Hickman Test. That was decided in eighteen sixty eight, where the court held that all material tending to deprave and corrupt those whose minds are open Oh. Yeah. To such open to such immoral influences was obscene regardless of its artistic or literary merit.
0: Right. So there's no such thing at this point of like, oh, but it's it's beautiful, it's it's art, it's
1: yeah that just didn't it didn't exist and it did after Lady Chatterley's
0: right so that's it's really that's really huge
1: yeah and they essentially the defense relied on a very strict reading of this um of the obscene act and said that the jury had to read the entire book before charges were introduced to them, so like before the trial, they had to read the book because they couldn't they couldn't just look at the passages that were about sex. Yeah, because it has to
0: be taken within context, right? Yeah,
1: so they had to take it within content. And that's... I love that
0: they were given homework.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I mean the the actual trial, like the defense called thirty five professors of literature, authors, journalists, editors, critics, publishers, child education experts, four Anglican churchmen. Who each declared that the book had sufficient literary merit to deserve publication for the public good. Yeah. Right. So they just went really hard in saying, you know, this is, this is a, it's got enough merit that we can just go ahead with this.
0: I do wonder how much was the sex that upset people about Lady Chatterley's lover and how much was the class?
1: class? Well, this is, so I read some really interesting stuff about Australian uh, censorship and we have a classification board that was made in, I think, 1933. Ooh, did um, you look
0: up who's on the board?
1: I know, so I don't know anymore. It's not the same thing oh, anymore. Okay. So this okay. is this is the cl- so classification now is for anything published. So it can be books, but we mostly think about it with films. Yeah, right. And I guess the thing in Australia is that this it was called the Commonwealth Literature Censorship Board. And then it was called something else. It was created in 1933 and they published their decisions Yeah, okay. about why they didn't. They didn't publish it broadly, but um, there's a particular academic in Australia who I kept on coming across, uh, Nicole Moore, mm-hmm. who's done so much work in this space and is incredibly interesting. She published a book called The Senses Library oh. and it's the list of books that have been censored in Australia and banned in Australia, essentially, they found 500 or an estimated 500 literary and scholarly books that were banned from 1901 to 1973. But they think, they estimate it's about 1,600 all up if you're including like pulp fiction and pornography, essentially, that wasn't considered literary. What happened in 1973 is that the Whitlam government (laughs) Woo
0: woo. <laughs> There's no hiding our politics. I mean, if you didn't know already, get the fuck out. <laughs> the, or
1: welcome. Yeah, welcome. Let us enlighten you. Yeah. <laughs> the Whitlam government um, just scrapped the whole list of banned books and was like, Australia no longer has a banned book list. We have no banned books. It's Everything's ready. And that's kind that. of heralded as the you know, end of book banning in Australia. We were actually recognized as one of the harshest Western countries for book banning. Classic nanny state. <laughs> yeah. The the kind of analogous um committee in the UK banned kind of twenty two books over a ten year period kind of thing. And we yeah, had, you know, right. five hundred. <laughs> but over a much longer period. But so this committee was very obvious about why they were banning books and it was about upholding this idea of victorian like the victorian idea of literature which is that you know art is meant to expand your mind and you know make you uh, like have these lofty moral values
0: expand your mind but only in the ways that we approve of
1: and also like i don't know if this book was banned but a lot of the books i've read from like the 16th century like the monk it's just like (laughs) It's literally about a monk who has a deal with the devil to fuck a virgin, and then his face gets eaten by bucks.
0: Like I, <laughs> I mean it's spoiler. A class, it's a classic plot. Line. <laughs> so like, <laughs> spoiler from the monk
1: <laughs> Like where is I mean, maybe that was banned. I, I don't know, but Australia really has this problem with transparency, I yeah, think is, is
0: hugely so.: Yeah, is
1: the main thing, not so, just in this area. They were saying that, you know, um, it wasn't until 1958 that the list was released outside of customs with what books aren't allowed in no, Australia.
0: I, I can like, I hate it, but I also kind of love the idea of you coming into Australia. You're on your holiday or whatever, off to the Gold Coast, <laughs> yeah. and they go through your bags and they're like, what <laughs> is this, you filthy girl?
1: <laughs> I mean, been there. <laughs> But in 1958, jumping around dates a bit, but there was this like why this list was published is because in the Menzies government, there was um, a minister who found out that Catcher in the Rye had been banned. And he.
0: My favorite book. <laughs> yeah, I and he was to like, it so much. this is a
1: great book. Why is it banned? <laughs> oh my God. And then looked into it. But that is such like classic white boy behavior. <laughs> Yeah, not catch her in the rye. <laughs> Holden oh McCall. <my> <laughs> so it's it's interesting the way that this relates legally because it was a customs matter. It wasn't a criminal matter to you know to have these books. What was criminal was that all of these books were apparently, and this is what these boards were making decisions on, were connected to these three pieces of legislation that, that were around like obscenity, blasphemy, and sedition. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it was like, it's about the ideas in the book.
0: Well, we don't want an unruly citizenship who think for themselves. (laughs) That would be
1: awful. Exactly. Exactly. And particularly the concern around children Mm -hmm. and around women. Yeah. And there was this really good line in one of the articles I was reading that said, English and American laws on obscenity And, you know, we can can kind of draw some parallels with Australia, but English and American laws on obscenity is mostly from the 19th century and appear to be the byproduct of the development of mass literacy and mass communication. And I think that's really interesting because after all of the book banning, we then see this movement to classification and particularly with films. The issue is that they can refuse to classify something, which is essentially banning it because if you have Ooh. if you have a, a a video or a book that has been refused classification it's a prohibited book right
0: okay so it's not called a ban but in effect it's a ban
1: it's a ban so we still have okay. this so we in Australia Speaking. the the rhetoric is that you know we're a classification system we don't really have censorship mm. Mm. but we do and if you look at the classification board And I'm going to do a shout out and I I did it on Twitter and I'm doing it on the podcast as well because I fucking loved this article. It's by Ryan Thornycroft and it was written in 2020 and in March of this year. And it's called, If Not a Fist, Then What About a Stump? Ableism and Heteronormativity Within Australia's Porn Regulations. Wow. It was so good. I I mean, that's a
0: title that draws me in.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it was about stumping and the fact that fisting is currently banned. It's written in the classification guidelines that if something has fisting and I've got the list here of things.
0: Yes, please. (laughs) I love the idea of this group of like who I imagine to be probably stuffy old white men being like fisting. No, no. So this is
1: the interesting thing. I I was going to call him Ryan. Then I'm like, I don't know him. He's not my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Thornycroft, yep. <laughs> he also has a great last name, writes in his article about the compilation of the board. And it is, they actually have in the in their guidelines that the board needs to be from like a range of ages, a range of geographical locations, and a range of ethnicities. Well, that's good. Do they do it? I think so, but there's nothing about sexuality. Mm. There's nothing about able-bodied, you know, like whether there's yeah. disabled like people. They've
0: taken a step, but stopped there
1: yeah we have the national classification code which was made under an act in 1995 which says which films are permitted for what so this is and if you're not from australia i don't know if other countries have this but at the beginning of most movies in australia you have a rating that says you know parental guidance or up to 13 or 18 or whatever um and the idea being that if you see like a x is it X rated? Yeah, X18. It's like full on, you know? And I've seen X18 movies and I'm not. I don't know. I just kind of walked out being like, what's the difference between X and R? I don't know. But yeah, so X18 includes real depictions of actual sexual intercourse and sexual activity between consenting adults, but is constrained by this clause no depiction of violence, sexual violence, sexualized violence, or coercion is allowed in the category. It does not allow sexually assaultive language, nor does it allow consensual depictions which purposefully demean anyone involved in that activity for the enjoyment of others. Fetishes such as body piercing, application of substances such as candle wax, golden showers, bondage, spanking or fisting are not permitted. And that's from the guidelines from 2012.
0: God, I could list a zillion things that I've seen that have got those things in them, I'm confused about how they just like <laughs> haphazardly apply these rules. But sure,
1: yeah. And um, I mean, Thorningcroft's thing about stumping is that you know it's it's creating. And sorry, stumping is which I didn't know about is essentially sexual acts with people's missing limbs. So if you don't have a hand or a foot or whatever, and it's um, insertion into vagina or anus or like people licking or things like that, and. He was saying, you know, you can probably assume it's going to be banned because fisting is relatively similar and it's specifically banned, but this is a pleasure activity for people with disabilities. Mm. And so why is this any different to seeing a penis go into a vagina? Why is fisting any different to seeing a penis go into a vagina for that matter? You know? And so it's really interesting. These things have just evolved. I think now, and with technology, everything I read was saying, if you want something, (laughs) you can find it. If you want it, you can get it. (laughs) I mean, hmm. Well, so I guess before we kind of go on a break, I I just really found it interesting to think about what is banned currently. Mm. And also, Ulysses was banned everywhere. Mm. I've never read Ulysses. I don't really understand why it was banned. (laughs) (laughs) is there much sex in that i don't know i honestly don't know why it was banned but i was just kind of like because the thing is in australia it was like a lot of things about communism were banned Mm. and it's not just sex obviously all of the time and it changes with what people think the community thinks and it's interesting that you know I read this article that was saying, well, nobody's giving these books to the community. That's the whole point. They're trying to keep them away from the community. So how do you gauge what the community thinks?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Like, you, you can't. You're You're kind of making the author guilty before even looking into the matter.
0: Yeah, and by restricting what the community has access to, you are directly or indirectly impacting
1: what the community thinks Mm, exactly and so the interesting thing I found is that the most recent stuff I could find on banning books are things around jihadi terrorist books and um well what are defined as and and what I was reading was that after 9-11 a bunch of books were recommended to the classification board to like have a look at they decided Nah, these seem fine. I think there was like oh, I can't remember how many books, but let, you know six or eight or something. Then the government wasn't happy with that, so they sent so they sent it to the federal kind of board, and they were like, "Hmm, uh, seems kind of fine." And then they just kept on pushing it because the Herald Sun picked it up, and all the fucking Murdoch picked it up, and then got someone to say, "Okay, two of these books are encouraging jihadi." And, and terrorist organizations to come up in Australia. So they went in and took them all. Yeah, so, right. So it was like, it's so easy to change what what is appropriate. And to serve a political purpose as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Whew, all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I told you I did a, a deep nerd dive. <laughs> well, let's
0: take a break and then it can be my turn. <laughs> So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: So what I love about this discussion, as I'm discovering as, as we're going through it, is that it really is like a melting pot of our two <laughs> yeah. in, like individual interest and shared interest. Like you got to know that about law. We're about to go down a bit of a tech rabbit hole, mix some sex into the mix. It's
1: great. <laughs> it's everything.
0: <laughs> so I had a bit of a look into sort of more modern um, examples of censorship and how we, how we experience and perceive censorship in sort of the realm of the internet mm-hmm. um, Because I think it's pretty easy to be like, oh, we don't we don't ban books anymore. Mm -hmm. We don't do that anymore without considering how the way that we structure the digital platforms that we use and the way that things like community guidelines on social media and the algorithms that, you know, determine what you are shown on any given platform all contribute to what we see or don't see and how that can interplay with
1: This is a side note, but a topical note. Have you seen the stuff about the squad? And I do not like the squad title. What's the squad? It's AOC and the other women of color in the Senate that I I don't know their names. Twitter, I think, or Facebook, a social media giant decided to start banning things that were essentially celebrating Trump getting COVID
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: getting rid of them. And then this group of women who are all politicians and women of color were like, well, what about all the death threats Mm. that come through to us all of the time that you don't get rid of? Like why why are you getting rid of these kind of semi-death threats (laughs) where you're not even batting an eye at people literally threatening our lives every day? Yeah, and and
0: that's a perfect example really of where I'm about to go. Like I think when we talk about things like content moderation online, often we in the media will immediately default to things like we have to – deal with extremist content online. We have to deal with hate speech online. And yes, these are legitimate things that need to be dealt with in some way. Whether or not social media platforms should have the uh, task of making those decisions is a completely other topic that I'm sure we will talk about at some point yeah so we we talk a lot about the things that need to be taken off social media but we don't as often talk about the things that are being taken off social media Mm. um, and who that impacts so to kind of circle back to romance and um, erotic literature and tie it all together as we have spoken about before a lot of self-published authors uh, dominate the research, the research, dominate the romance (laughs) and erotica genre. And they rely on Amazon to be able to sell a lot of their work, as we've spoken about before. But so in March 2018, Amazon altered their policy on erotic content. And so what they did is that they changed their ranking system. So you can still find these books on Amazon But essentially, they've lost their ranking, which means they won't appear in top top sellers lists. Mm. They also are less likely to show up, um, you know, when you buy something and then it's like other people, you might also like this or whatever. They're less likely to pop up in in those areas. And obviously, like, the less people see it, the less people will buy it. Mm. So that has an impact on the way that um, these authors are able to continue to create and to, you know, make a living. And so essentially, essentially the reason why Amazon started to do this is it was one of the first ways that Amazon started reacting to a pair of laws in the U.S. Um, called sesta Foster. So as a bit of background, and I think that this is really important stuff that everyone should know, like it, just because it's happening in, it's a pair of U.S. laws. Actually, I think they've amalgamated it into one law now, but... I digress. Um, <laughs> the way that these laws are created, like we, we live in the internet age. If mm. the U.S. make passes laws that impact internet freedoms and the way that big tech companies can uh, create platforms, that impacts all of us. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So a
0: bit of uh, context on sesta Foster. They are a pair of laws that were passed in the U.S. in 2018. The acronym is like... Stop Enabling Sex Trafficking Act um, and Allow States and Victims to Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. They don't
1: like sex trafficking. (laughs) Well, I mean, this is the thing as well, because a lot of this censorship stuff, particularly in relation to sex, grabs onto sex trafficking, pedophilia, bestiality, Mm. these like big topics that this you just moral panic stuff yeah that you just can't argue against you can't be like oh well you know maybe you you can't do that yeah, you don't want to be turns around they're like think of the children <laughs> yeah like you don't want to be that person and so people are unwilling to hear and also the majority of people don't have time in their lives to dive into the minutia of of these issues yeah so they hear stop sex traffic like stop sex traffic and they're like yeah of course great
0: yeah, absolutely. Let's support that. And that's a big thing with this this law is that I think it really leveraged that feeling. People were mm. like, of course, we want to stop sex trafficking. Sex trafficking is awful. And I think it also ties back to, and this is a, a, a kind of a tangential issue, but it's it's still important. Is the, when has tangential <laughs> stopped us? True. <laughs> is is the conflation between sex trafficking and sex, sex work. work. Mm. Um. As a side note, in the side note, it's, it's a side note
1: inception. <laughs> We're getting real Alice in Wonderland of this shit.
0: I highly recommend, I just love this episode of um, You're Wrong About, which is another podcast, and they really pick apart this conflation between uh, sex trafficking and, and sex work and mm. the moral panic around it. It's really good. Go and listen to that if you're interested. So essentially what the, the law does is that it amends the Communications Act of 1934 to change section 230. So a bit of history when the communications act. So this is again, is us centric section 230 was there to essentially protect internet platforms from liability. So this was in recognition of the fact that a lot of these internet platforms can't control what users are going to post on their Mm. sites. You know, Facebook can't control what your dad posts in his status. Mm -hmm. Right. So they Sec- Section 230 was there to make sure that they're not liable for whatever randos post on their platform. There are exceptions, of course, as you know, you would expect in terms of like criminal stuff. Anyway, so along comes SESTA Foster, and with all of its kind of surrounding rhetoric about fighting sex trafficking, and the way that they've gone about it is to amend Section 230 so that digital platforms to extend liability for them to include anything that is designed to facilitate sex trafficking or otherwise facilitates sex trafficking mm. and the entire wording of the act is so vague oh shocker uh, yeah right
1: <laughs> legislation Not is normally yet. just fine <laughs> let's rewind to the reasonable person question shall we
0: <laughs> so because it's so broad it means that so much falls into this definition, I suppose. Mm. Essentially what this means, like it, it, it's easy to get like bogged down and i be like, oh, I don't care about that. That means nothing. Mm. But what it means is that um, these digital platforms have to are, are kind of their hand is forced to to push off anything that could fall within this. Um, within this definition for yeah. big tech companies, that doesn't mean a whole lot um, for them because they have legal teams and they have tech teams that they can deal with that. Um, it does mean that there will be like increased <laughs> censorship, yeah. um, but they're not particularly harmed. But the smaller platforms who can't handle it end up either they get they 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 over censor because they're worried about getting into a legal mm. issue or they shut down entire sections of their websites, or they shut down entirely. And so what you end up seeing is like a narrowing of the internet as we know it, and suddenly you end up with heightened censorship because of the nature of the law, but also you end up with fewer platforms for people to post things, fewer spaces for marginalized and um, minority voices to even be heard at all.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cause the people who would be like, Facebook is not a welcoming environment for me go to a smaller platform where it is more welcoming and suddenly that platform no longer exists.
0: Yeah, exactly. Whew. So it's bad. It's really <laughs> bad. I oh, it makes me so mad. And, you know, plot twist, it also doesn't do anything to what? stop sex trafficking. <laughs> and has been shown that it it actually is like quite actively harmful towards sex workers they have limit, they have even less space online to be able to do their work which means that they're forced into more and more harmful situations so it's it's just it it's that beautiful concoction of doesn't do what it was supposed to do but causes all of these other harms instead
1: it's almost like sex trafficking is part of a bigger problem around gender politics (laughs) and you know the western world having a lot of uh the resources from other countries you know just those kind of (laughs) colonialism connected (laughs) it's almost like just like blaming the internet doesn't work (laughs) yeah yeah
0: (laughs) absolutely and i think it's really interesting like hearing what you were talking about before like you can see how it would flow on from that. So, yeah, so this is a really huge issue. And, you know, I think that it's if you're if you're not a sex worker, it's easy to be like, oh, well, it doesn't matter. I'm not I'm not a sex worker, like whatever. But what this means is that everywhere's tightening up the reins. So what you see is like the community guidelines on Instagram will 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 tighten. And so then you end up seeing I don't know if people have been I I am obsessed with this topic. <laughs> um recently there was a woman in uh the UK called Naomi who posted this beautiful picture. Like professional photography. She's not wearing a top, but her like her nipples are covered. She's this big black woman, she's gorgeous and it's it's a really nice photo and it it got taken down because it was a, it was um what's it, what do they say? Like a,
1: in breach of community yeah. standards or whatever.
0: There was this whole movement happening in the UK where um, they started to like call it out and they were like, this is bullshit. Like, and and showing like pictures of really thin white women in much like more scantily clad or, or whatever mm. much more like uh, sexual, like graphically sexual uh, images. But this picture of Naomi was um, taken down. So anyway, my point is, is that it obviously impacts sex workers, but the flow on effect is so much broader than that. It's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty phenomenal. Fun fact, Sesta Foster was co-sponsored by Kamala Harris. So for Yay. all our US listeners, Yay. she also supports the Nordic model, which big
1: you know, prison Kamala. Yeah, woo. <laughs> um, the only other thing that
0: I wanted to bring up, um, which is also relevant is uh i'm sure that most of our listeners would already know about salty if you don't it's a digital newsletter and platform that's dedicated to women trans and non-binary voices
1: and people living with disabilities and essentially yeah yeah, marginalized groups
0: they do a really good job at passing the mic They they don't speak on behalf of people they genuinely allow people to come to, to write and share their, their stories, which is really cool. They post some cool shit. So they launched in 2018 and since then have been, as you can imagine, because as you've highlighted, people in power hate women and people Women's of color. And <laughs> um, so they've been deplatformed, they've been harassed, they've been denied access to funding and resources and all sorts of things. They they also fall under the, into the net of sesta Foster quite a lot. Like for example, in 2019... They posted, um, well, they, they attempted to post a series of ads of fully clothed black, indigenous, and, and people of color, disabled people, plus-sized, and trans women. And then were rejected by Instagram for promoting escorting services. Fully clothed. Wow. Um, and what recourse do you have? Like- well, this is one of the challenging things. And um, shout out to myself. I... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's been it's been an episode of shout out, So go ahead. I'll allow um, it this once. No. So recently um, uh, I organized a panel that just dissected this in more depth. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes because I'm really impressed by the speakers. And Claire Fitzsimmons, who's the, um, the founder of Salty, spoke about exactly this. And she was like, part of the problem is that. It's essentially a black box behind the scenes mm. when it comes to any kind of free course.
1: This is a big thing that Nicole Moore talks about in all of her work on censorship in Australia is like the problem is the transparency. Like yeah. we don't have any transparency here and it says like she had a quote saying, you know, it's important that we have regulatory reg- regimes that are transparent and that people know why things are banned so yeah. they can make their own minds up about whether they're legitimate. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the thing. You've just got this group of shadows making decisions about what can and cannot be read. It's incredibly paternalistic. Yeah. And it's incredibly just like insulting to people to just be like, no, 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 this will, this will um, poison your mind in some way.
0: So in response to that,
1: they did try. Oh, sorry. And then they don't ban hate speech. Right. Exactly. Oh, what? Like, oh, okay, sure.
0: Yeah. Which just, (laughs) it leaves you like, what are you supposed to think if you're like, well, this post of mine was taken down And I've got a fucking Nazi over there. Yeah, exactly. That's
1: freedom of speech, but this is, is like, Like, your community guidelines are really highlighting where your fucking values lie. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Oh, I hate it. (laughs) I hate it. Oh, God. Anyway, so Salty started to, like, kick up a fuss about this because they didn't hear anything back from Instagram, right? And once they got the media involved, Facebook eventually was like, oh, better, Mm -hmm. like to talk to these people so facebook was like great let's deal with this let's have a meeting we want to hear what you have to say um and salty took the opportunity and i fucking love this <laughs> they did a bunch of preparation um it just sounds like something we would do like, they, they fucking <laughs> oh you want a meeting with me i'm gonna graphs. i'm gonna prepare <laughs> yeah they did a Like they did a huge collection of data, um, you know, spoke with the community because they wanted to be able to come prepared to this meeting to like tell the story of how this was actually impacting real life people. And so that they could form evidence based recommendations. They were literally doing the fucking work for Facebook. Mm. (sighs) Anyway, (laughs) they never end up having a meeting because Facebook's a bunch of jerks. Mm. Get fucked, suck. (laughs) Um. And then Salty got really mad about it and um, ended up publishing this report um, about algorithmic bias and content policing. And it's really fascinating. And, they really, they, they, and then they have the data to back it up. And they mm. have the, the anecdotes
1: of real people with these experiences. I think um, the other thing is, to bring it to the Australian context again, was it Celeste Liddell who, who had that picture of an indigenous woman. It was an older picture of an indigenous woman and it got censored off Instagram because of her nipples. I think that became a massive thing mm. in Australia where people were like, why the fuck has this, has, has this image, which is obviously like a, an indigenous person in a ceremonial yeah. aspect of their life being censored by Instagram, you know? Yeah. That's. And Facebook. I think both. Well, I mean, they're the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, look. To sum up, shit. fucked.: <laughs> I, I do have a I do have a line that I think sums it up pretty well for yeah, everything we've been talking about. Um it was written about the book banning kind of stuff, but essentially it says The censorship, like, we can view the censorship project as one motivated by anxiety about the ability of literature to do precisely the opposite of the bourgeois function allotted to it by the state. And that function Mm. is to maintain the power dynamics.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So like that is and I don't the point of censorship. And
0: I don't think it's a leap to apply that to things like some of the digital platforms. Things like no, Solty, absolutely things not. like Instagram, where it's like
1: these are people's stories. These are the actual disruptors.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like obviously like I just think the connection between what's literary and what's just people sharing their lives mm. in this context is not that a huge not not a huge distinction and I
1: mean this is the thing we're not the hypocrisy is part of this problem the you know allowing certain things but not others when those other certain things tend to be hate speech against women against minorities yeah against people with disabilities yeah Yeah. but not allowing those same people to celebrate their lives in the way that they see themselves yeah exactly
0: Oh, on that positive note, time to have a wine. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: mm,
0: books.